As you age, your portfolio grows, but your time to spend it shrinks. So from a financial perspective, what is the ideal retirement age? That's Joan Big Al's first question today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 331. Plus, if you aren't seeking fire, financial independence, retire early, but instead have achieved far financial abundance, happily retired, should you do Roth conversions to the top of the 37% tax bracket? If you're close to retiring, but you don't have much cash, should you stop investing and start saving cash? If you're maxing out your retirement accounts, is it a good idea now to take advantage of a deferred comp plan? Is participating in an employee stock purchase plan putting too many eggs in one basket? And finally, how should you pay for long-term care insurance? Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Big Al on air to send in your money questions, comments, and stories for the fellas to riff on. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We got Phil writes in, goes, hey, Andy, Joe and Al, this is Phil from Alabama, an alumni of Podcast 315. Wow. That's a ways back. Don't we have an alum? Apparently, each podcast we have our alums. Alums. Who made appearances. All right. Your previous second opinion on advice I received from a prospective advisor was invaluable. I want to ask you a follow-up question on the topic that I don't recall you discussing before. The question is from a purely financial standpoint. Is there an optimal age to retire? That is a point where you have the best blend of money and time. I'm in above average health and legacy planning is not a factor. Since I only need about 2 to 3% of my portfolio annually, it should grow significantly over time. Of course, each year, I wait to retire. Life expectancy decreases. So as portfolio increases and life expectancy simultaneously decreases, is there an optimum intersection between life and money? Yeah. Is there a crossroads here? Got to be. Got to be a crossroads. I'll be 69 this year and I'm still working, but I believe I have overshot my target. Is it time to turn in my Honda CRV around? Any insight would be greatly appreciated. All right, Phil from Alabama. So what's what do you think there, Big Al? Um, well, I think, Phil, if you can tell us exactly when you're going to die, I can actually compute the optimum crossover. <laughs> <laughs> but not knowing that it makes it a little more difficult, but I would say this, Phil, if your um, if your distribution rate right now is two to 3% of your portfolio. Yeah. Now's the time. In fact, you probably could have done it a little earlier. You know, I think if you're, I think if you're, I, I'm going to say 65. And the reason I picked that is because you're Medicare age. So you got your, most of your health insurance covered. If you got a, Four percent distribution rate or less, I think, I think it could work. Unless you tell me that I'm ultra healthy and I'm going to live to 105, then you might want to work a little bit longer. So that, but that's such a hard thing because no one knows exactly how long they're going to live. So you would base strictly financial, of course. I think that's uh, what a, he's asking. But so your your um, opinion <laughs> is based on a distribution rate. So that's how you would find the optimal. Jane, and what that means is what percentage that you're taking out of the portfolio each year. So Phil here says I can pull two or three percent out. So I yeah, so so I think if anything so, under four at 70 at, years old, he said is good. good. Is good. Yeah. I think I actually think you could do 
I think you can even do 4% at 65. And that might be kind of pushing the envelope, maybe, because we're living longer. But that's to me, that would be a rule of thumb. So if you're 69 and it's 2 or 3%, I think, I think you've already missed it. I think you could, could have retired a little bit earlier. But there's a lot of assumptions you're running there, too. We would have to look at you know, what the portfolio is. If yeah. it's in one individual stock, you, if it's in cash, it's in then, cash. then you're going to run out. Right. So you got to work till 77. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, this is general. It's, I mean, you could mathematically compute it um, if we knew what the rate of return on your portfolio was and we knew how long you're going to live. We, we could figure this out. But, right. I mean, I think that's what financial planning is, isn't it? Is what he's asking us. Well, I, I know he wants us to do a financial plan in one answer <laughs> with a paragraph. Yeah. Keep it short and free. So I'm going to say, and you're right, this isn't advice. This is just an opinion, right? Just a discussion. But I would say my analysis and what little I know is, Phil, you can retire. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, if you're only pulling two or 3% on the portfolio, you're 69. Uh, maybe he's still holding off on social security. If he takes social security at age 70, then that, that rate of distribution would probably be lower. Right. Um, even if he's in ultra great health, which I think he said he is. Sometimes I think, uh, what about this one? Sometimes when you work longer, you're, you're more stimulated professionally, you actually live longer. So there's not necessarily a direct correlation in you work longer and so you're going to have retirement less years in retirement. Yeah, um, that's true for some. <laughs> <laughs> Not for all. Uh, hopefully that helps, Phil. Uh, let's see. We got Howdy Joe, Alan, Andy. This is George from Texas. Ledbetter, Texas. That's a great town name. Um, Ledbetter. Yeah. He's a golf instructor. Led better. Um, I look forward to each week's YMYW because y'all are not only informative, but also darn hilarious. I often listen to you while I'm driving my orange. Kubota. Kubota. Yeah. Kubota tractor around the property or while lounging on the front porch with a warm breeze in my face and my faithful dog Cletus besides me. Hope this paints the resect. Requisite. Requisite. Requisite picture. picture. Yes, it did. Thank George, I, I got it. I can imagine. I can. Just yeah, I'm, hair I'm, flowing. I'm right there with you. Him and Cletus. So now I feel like I, I'm, I can answer a question. I, right? Yeah. You're, you're with them. I'm you're with sitting them. on the porch. I can, George. I can just picture it. Right. Here's the situation. I'm 61, yo. Married. Three kids. Instead of a millennial seeking fire, I'm a baby boomer Texan who has already achieved far. Say it with a draw. Far. I don't know. Is that a draw? <laughs> Financial abundance, happily retired. Net worth is $13 million, which includes $2 million homestead, $3 million ta- taxable brokerage account, $1 million in cash, $2 million in IRA, and no kidding, $5 million in Roths. Jeez. It's pretty good. It's pretty impressive, George. He just writes in to brag while he's sitting on his porch. <laughs> What do, you, what, dog do you, Cletus. what do you bet his name really isn't George? I, I could care less what his <laughs> name is. Uh, no single stocks, uh, just globally diversified mutual funds and no debt, not even on the tractor. Very cool. 
All right. The majority of the $5 million Roth assets come from a one-time conversion of 650000 back in 1998 when you can spread the tax over four years. Haven't converted anything else until a couple of years ago because, one, conversions were income limited until 2010, and two, we've been in the highest tax, uh, highest marginal tax rate since. Now that we are retired and have flexibility, it seems time to convert more. With our heavy cash position, we could convert to the 37% bracket and actually put that cash to good use. I'm thinking to convert a million dollars of our 2 million qualified plans to Roth, maybe over two years, leaving the remaining a million dollars to grow and then convert more slowly over time. Is the high one-time tax of three hundred fifty dollars or $400,000 worth it before the IRAs grow even larger? Thanks. All right, let's unpack this a little bit. So thanks for the question, George. Five million in Roths from a six hundred and fifty thousand dollar conversion in nineteen ninety-eight. Yeah, that's pretty good. Spread the tax over five years back sure. then. Sure. Sure. I remember that. Yeah. That's you were, when I first got into business. Were you working then? Or are you still in college? Nineteen ninety-eight. That was my first year. First year. Yeah. Got it. I graduated in ninety-eight. Got it. First year in the business, 1998. Got it. Very cool. Um, so, okay. 650. Man, what rate of return is that? What did he buy? <laughs> Apple? Well, um, if you figure it, it would have doubled twice, that would have been what? 2.6 million. So it, it more than more than it was more than 7%. We'll yeah, put it that way. Right. Um, all right. <clears throat> so we're missing a, a couple of things from, from George. He's in the 37% tax bracket. He's got $2 million in qualified plans. Does he convert more? Um, he's retired. So, But the only thing I'm cu- curious about is, is his fixed income giving him the 37% tax bracket, right? Does he have other income, pensions, or defined comp or deferred comp to, to get in, in the 37% tax bracket? Well, Was I- it the dividends? Is it real estate? Is it well, what's, what's pushing him up to that bracket? Yeah, I think what he's saying, if I the way I read it is, if he does, if he converts a million dollars in two years, it's five hundred thousand a year. That pushes him into the thirty-seven percent bracket, right? Why would okay? Well, then maybe maybe you're reading it right. <laughs> that's that's what I'm thinking, and and if that's the question, should I should I convert? So I got I got a I got an IRA of two million dollars and and I want to convert a million of it over the next two years five hundred thousand this year five hundred thousand next year he's sixty years old yeah. he's got ten years to convert the two million dollars exactly out. the the highest you would probably go assuming you've got almost no other income is the twenty four percent bracket that's a nice low bracket and then instead of two years maybe you do it in four right and and pay much lower taxes there's you don't have to you, you don't have to run a race in this it's it's a little bit more like a marathon do a little bit this year a little bit next year a little bit next year and you end up in a much better situation i would here's what i would do i would look at what fixed income sources george has right so i would look at what my iras i mean not my it, what my pension is if i have one what my social security is things like that and then what's his living expenses? Because he can have plenty of income in, from, from all other asset sources, right? So let's say that $2 million grows to $4 million. So that's $80,000 um, roughly 
required a minimum distribution. Sure. Once he reaches the, the appropriate age. So that $80,000 plus what other fixed income sources, what tax bracket is that going to be? Right. Then you could back the numbers out that way to say, all right, well, I wouldn't want to convert anything higher than that tax bracket. Yeah, that and that is the best way to do it. What I'm suggesting is simplifying even more, saying I'm thinking with the assets that you have, 24% is a good bracket. So go all the way up to the top of that, which for a married couple is about what? 300,000. 320,000, yeah. somewhere in there. It's a big number. I mean, if your fixed income is is 100,000 right now or whatever your income is, then do another 200,000. If your income fixed income is zero, but you're going to have some interest and dividends on the non-qual, so it's not going to be zero. But anyway, you get the idea. If, as long as your taxable income, actually, it's 329000 If it's below 329000 for 2021, 2021, then you're going to be in the 24% bracket or lower. Whether you're in your 60s, your 50s, your 40s, or younger, decisions you make today will affect your financial security for years to come. Download Cracking the Financial Code at Any Age, a free guide that'll walk you through financial strategies and actions to take in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s to overcome previous missteps and to set yourself up for a more successful retirement. This is the companion guide to the YMYW TV episode on the same topic, and both are waiting for you in the podcast show notes at Your Money, Your wealth.com. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to get there and spread the knowledge. Share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. Hello, YMYW crew. I'm 58 and plan to retire in four to five years. I have 760K in my retirement accounts, 401k, IRA, Roth IRA, invested in 100% stock, S&P 500. Only have $4,000 in cash, no chickens. Uh, that's pretty good. Um, I have enough cash on hand to start retirement. Should I stop investing now? Currently 15% of income or about 15K per year um, in building my cash outside of the retirement accounts? Or should I continue investing and gradually transfer some equity holdings to cash inside my retirement accounts? If the latter, at what rate should I transfer? For example, if I should transfer $100,000, should I do it all at once or $20,000 a year over the next five years? How many years of expenses minus any planned Social Security should I have in cash when I start retirement? Appreciate your using my case to educate your audience since you cannot offer advice. Thanks. Okay, so what he is asking or she is asking. He. He. Oh, oh yeah, because... <laughs> and Andy looked him up. Andy gave us a little clue here. <laughs> looked looked him up. Google Earth. <laughs> Found. So he he put Carrie. This is his submission. Mail. Oh, got it. So okay. he actually wanted us to be clear. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Carrie. All right. Um. So what? He's fifty-eight. He plans to retire in five years. So he's thinking. Okay, I got everything in stock. When should he start transferring the money into a more conservative portfolio? He wants to retire in five years. The answer is today, Carrie. He's 58, wants to retire in five years. You've got enough to retire right now. He's continued to save, but you want to start maneuvering your assets right now as if you're going to retire tomorrow. Because you don't want to wait until the day before you retire because there could be a 20%, 30% correction in the overall market. And then now you're down 
you know, 200 some odd thousand dollars. And guess what? You're, you, you can't retire. So if you're ready to retire in five years, I look at it as, you know, in that five year zone, you know, that's when you really want to set your portfolio up appropriately. How many years of cash do you need? Um, I wouldn't say cash. I would say safer investments. And maybe you look at outside of like, what is your distribution is what you need to think of. And I think Carrie's doing that. He's like outside of my social security, how much money that I need for my portfolio, how much of that shortfall should be in cash. I would say six years to 10 years, depending on your risk tolerance, but he's got a huge appetite for risk. Sure. So I, I might even say, you know, five or less years, you know, three to five years, not in cash though. I'd go bond, short-term bonds, tr- treasuries, government, you know, things like that, where you can get maybe a little bit higher expected return by, you know, the mutual fund short duration. So you have the liquidity and then maybe you keep a year in cash. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, so bond funds, right. As opposed to a bond, and you're right. Bonds bonds will pay more than cash, and they give you some some downside protection. What I mean by that is, when markets correct, people there's a flight to safety, and people tend to invest more in bonds, which often have 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 them increase a little bit while stocks are going down. It helps kind of cushion the blow a little bit. Uh, and I would say exactly same as you. Once you know what the portfolio should be, you make that change now. You don't have to just ease into yeah, this. Yeah, don't ease it. Yeah. You, you make it now and, and you want to retire four or five years from now. You know, you are pretty aggressive. I, I, we're going by that because you're hundred percent in stocks. That sounds aggressive. So maybe, maybe even like three years of fixed income for the next, you know, just, just start in that direction. And then so that you, you have, so if the market's down, when you retire, you're not caught, right? You're not caught with your pants down. What's that saying, Warren Buffett? You know, when the oh. tide is out, you see who's naked. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> said differently, but that, that's the gist of it. Uh, hello, YMY or YMMW. <laughs> hello, YMMW. Your money, money wealth. It's your money. Your money, my wealth. <laughs> my wealth. A fantastic trio. Thanks for your continuing Outstanding service to us all who lean on your podcast for great advice and a few good laughs. I've written in before, so I'll spare you all the typical pet car details and get right to my question. I'm 47 years old, married, substantial savings in both pre-tax 1.5 and a taxable brokerage account 3.5. So in good shape for general retirement. Maxing all tax deferred options, 401k, HSA, etc. As I have concluded that current tax deduction at my income level are more appropriate than Roth. However, I have a bit of a curveball being thrown into the mix and I could use your help thinking it through. Okay, Adam from Franklin, Tennessee. I have access to a deferred comp plan through my employer, massive insurance company that allows me to defer as much of my salary bonus as I want and avoid taxes on it now, but rather pay the taxes on the income when I draw it out. The payout options are pretty flexible. I can choose to begin drawing it out at a certain age or the year following my separation, whenever that is, likely 55. And I can choose five, 10, 15 year payout options. I do not have a traditional pension, so I was thinking that this might be a good opportunity to move some income 
out of my current tax bracket, 32%, and into a likely lower tax bracket, given my lack of pension income, at 55, there would leave me 10 years or so, I might start drawing Social Security. So if I defer, let's say, $500,000 between now and age 55, I would be drawing roughly $5,000 per year from 55 to 65. And on top of the roughly 50,000 of dividends and interest that would put my annual taxable income right around hundred grand, which would leave me in a much better tax bracket than my current. I can also invest on paper at least since there are no true investments, but rather book entries that the company carries as a liability. Wow, this guy's technical. Yes. Well, Franklin, look at the big brain on Frank <laughs> <laughs> or Adam, whatever the hell you. Name I think is. it's Adam. Uh, these deferred amounts into the same investment options as my 401k, good, low expense stock bonds funds. Uh, the other factor that is pushing me in this direction is that I think I'll have a hard time drawing from my investment assets after retirement because I'm saver by nature. So my inclination would be to live dirt cheap since I would have no income. If I go this route with a deferred comp, that would make me feel much more like a normal income stream to me. And I think I would be much less of a pain in the rear for my wife. Forget <laughs> about it. You are a big pain in the ass. Oh, God. Well, that answers your question. Do what your wife wants because you want to stay married. You'll live longer. And much more and likely to continue our current lifestyle spending, which is not ex- extravagant in any way. Of course, it's not extravagant. I mean, you got, you're 47 years old. And you got five million bucks. Yeah. Liquid. Right. You did something well. <laughs> so here's what I'm thinking. I spent about $8,000 a year. <laughs> and my wife is like, about to kill me. It's, and she's not okay with that. Believe that. Believe it or not. Uh, I, I wonder if um, Adam Franklin from Tennessee or Adam from Franklin, Tennessee, his wife knows what he's got stashed away for their retirement. Ooh, that's a good question. I guarantee. I'm, I'm thinking it's not, she doesn't quite follow it like I, he does. Yes. I mean, he watches it to the penny. Right. You can tell he's got a big brain. He's got, he's got all the strategies down. Oh, he's tight. Right. It's like, well, you know, they're really not mutual funds. It's just a journal entry of a debt <laughs> obligation. To the has he told us yet whether he's an engineer? Uh, well, so I don't know. He's probably an underwriter. <laughs> An underwriter, probably for the insurance company. Exactly. Yeah. So he knows numbers. Yes. Um, All right. So the question is, does he do the deferred comp? I would say, well, here's a strategy that I'm going to throw out there, Adam. Is there's pros and cons of deferred comp. And let's not, we can talk about the pros and cons of the deferred comp later. uh, But let's just talk about putting money in a pre-tax environment now by deferring it to a later date. Sure. Does that make sense at age 45? And I think the answer is yes. A couple of reasons is you have zero money in Roth and you think that you're, I mean, right. You're in a high tax bracket right now to put any money into Roth. You have three and a half million dollars into a brokerage account. Is there a way that you can start moving some of this $1.5 million that you have in a pre-tax account into a Roth account at a reasonable tax bracket? And the answer is maybe. We've utilized this strategy in the past is that we would have individuals max out their deferred comp for a year or two. 
So let's say Adam makes a half a million dollars a year. We'd say, you know what, Adam, put a half a million dollars in the deferred comp plan this year, let it go, right? And we have a 15-year payout on that $500,000. And now his income is zero. So then what do you do with that income of zero? You do a Roth conversion to the top of the 37% tax bracket or 32% tax bracket that he's in already. So it's just basically taking the money, a large dollar figure, and putting it into the Roth IRA and having that compound for him 100% tax-free. Okay. Uh, I like it. I think I'm going to tackle it just slightly different, but I think the same analysis. I, I like the deferred comp plan. Uh, Adam, probably in your situation for a, a few reasons. One is you're in a very high tax bracket. So basically you're allowed to, um, to, to defer as, as much of your compensation probably as you want to, and then get it out over a five-year period, 10-year period, 15-year period in the future. You've already identified the problem here. The problem is it's not really a retirement account per se. It's a liability of the company. And if the, if the company goes bankrupt, then you're out of luck. It, it's You just gave away your compensation. But it's an insurance company, and I'm taking your word for it that the insurance company is strong. So probably in seven years when it's built up and then could it pay out another 10 years? You know, a lot of insurance companies are pretty strong. That's, that's not a guarantee, but that's your risk. The fact that you, you know, it's, it sounds like it's a pretty strong company and you're 47, not 27, right? So you're getting close to retiring. If you, if you weren't going to retire till 67, I would say, I don't know, 20 years of deferred comp and then another 10, 15 years payout. Is the is that insurance company going to be strong for 35 years? I, I don't know. There's a little bit more risk there, but in this particular case, I kind of like it. And then to me, the ancillary part, as you just mentioned, Joe, is if you if you defer enough to get in a low enough tax bracket, then you can actually start converting some of the million and a half and put yourself in a much better spot. So right. yeah, I like it. Because the, one of the things that we see is that he's fully funding the, the 1.5. He's going to continue to fully fund that over the next 10 years. He's going to retire at 55. He could take the 401k out at age 55, but I, I, I doubt he would do that. He's, he, he's, he's scrimping pennies, right? Yeah. He doesn't want to touch the brokerage account because he's a saver. I know. The it. biggest problem with savers is that they're terrible spenders. I know. They, they, can't, they can't spend. And so I kind of like the idea of having, a, having an income stream so that your wife won't kill you because he's forcing himself to spend. (laughs) That's how crazy this guy is. Right. Right. Is that great savers are awful spenders, but I'm telling you this, Adam, why are you saving all this money? If you're never going to spend it, do you want (laughs) to give it to the, the, the government? I mean, you have to start taking a look at, all right, there's a reason why you're saving this capital and you can enjoy it. It's okay. But I guarantee you, he's the type that he will get anxiety. He will feel bad if he, if he splurges on anything. Right. Uh, yeah. We've seen it a lot and it's, it's very hard to, to change that mentality when you've got plenty to all of a sudden start spending. Right. Yeah. It will never happen. Yeah. Pro- probably not. We, we should, I should mention that deferred comp plans are, they're not very common. So if you're listening, thinking, okay, I'll see, I'll see what I can do at my company. It's unlikely <laughs> that you have a deferred comp plan at your company, but if you do, and it's a strong company and you're close to retirement and you're in a high tax bracket. Yeah, I'm all for it. 
So you know why we call Joe and Big Al's answers on the podcast spitball analysis and suggestions? It's because there are probably a lot more moving parts to your financial situation that the fellas simply don't know and wouldn't know without a much more in-depth analysis. Decisions that impact how and where you save, when you retire, how much you spend in retirement, how much tax you pay, and how you look after your family should not be left to a few minutes of spitball analysis on a podcast. This is the rest of your life we're talking about here. Before you move forward with just a spitball idea of retirement, why not schedule a thorough one-on-one financial assessment with a certified financial planner professional on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors. There's no cost, there's no obligation, and Pure Financial is a fee-only fiduciary registered investment advisor, and they don't sell any products. Pure is based in Southern California, but can create a comprehensive financial plan for you, no matter where you are in the country. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click get an assessment to schedule your free financial assessment at a date and time convenient for you. Uh, Mike from DC writes in, Hey, Joe now, big fan of the show. You guys help me answer a backdoor Roth IRA question about 10 months ago. And I was so happy to hear it on your podcast. I'm currently working for an employer that gave me $88,000 in RSUs vested over a four year time period, 25% a year. Base is 205 and I'm contributing 10% to my pre-tax 401k and 5% to my after-tax. The company just opened up the offering period for an ESPP plan at a 15% discount. I believe the stock price is a little overvalued. So hesitant on participating. Do you guys recommend investing in these plans? Or is that too many eggs in one basket? Or should I just focus on maxing out my 401k Roth and invest in ETFs with the money that would be going to the ESPP? Keep up the great work. Thanks, Mike from DC. Um, so employee stock purchase plan is what he's referring to. Yeah, as well as uh, restricted stock units. So let's let's talk about the acronyms. RSU, restricted stock units, uh, ESPP, employee stock purchase plan. RSUs are um, grants. They're stock grants that employees get if they do a good job mike must be killing it yeah so so typically you get a grant and at the point of the grant it doesn't vest so it's not taxable and in this particular case it vests over four years so 25 percent of that rsu restricted stock unit becomes taxable when it vests but it vests actually at the value on that date, not at the original grant date. So in some cases where people get restricted stock units, they actually do, I'm going to get technical now, they file an 83B election, which basically says, I don't want to pay the tax in the future. I want to pay the tax now. I want to pay it now because I think the stock's going up. And so you're allowed to do that within 30 days of receiving that grant. So for those of you that do work for high-tech companies, which this uh, ADBE is... A high tech company. It's Adobe, correct. So that would, uh, if if you're, so that that's a common practice. Now, in some cases, companies require you to pay for RSUs, but in many cases, they don't. So that's that one. But that wasn't the question. <laughs> the question was, should I do the ESPP? And generally, these are these are stock plans where you can buy company stock at a discount. You can get them at a fifteen percent discount. Adobe is a public company. Is that a good deal? Maybe. Now, if you're not terribly bullish on the company, then maybe, maybe it isn't that good. But that's that's the idea. It's to entice you to buy in at a discount the company stock. So you're basically 
you know, you buy it for a hundred dollars, but it's really worth 115 or whatever, whatever the math is. And then, so you've got some instant equity, but if you don't feel that good about the future, then you wouldn't necessarily do that. So I'm not going to evaluate whether Adobe's a, a good buy or not. That's not what we do. We like to be invested in the entire market, but I will say, um, Mike, if you, if you, if you're a little nervous about how the company, you know, what, how it's, maybe it's heavily, it's highly valued and you've, you've already got RSUs in the company. You've got a salary in the company. You've got a lot of eggs in one basket. So maybe, maybe you just skip it. Maybe you just invest on your own in the 401k. I would look at what the rules are in regards to what the sell um, restrictions are. Right. Um in, in most cases, you're going to have to hold the stock for a certain period of time because you're buying it at a discount. Yeah. You know, so you could just buy it and sell and pocket the cash the next day. You could, but if it's, if it's more than, if it's less than a year, it's ordinary. True. But you're still, it's free money. It's free. Yeah. It's free money. So <laughs> yeah, if you can, if, if you're able to, right. But I don't, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm not familiar with their um, executive plan, but I, I agree with you, Mike. Or I agree with you, Alan. Is that, you know, he's got a salary there. He's got RSUs there. Does he want to continue to have more of his nest egg, you know, vested within that overall company? I wouldn't be surprised if he has company stock, stock in the 401k. 401k. Yeah, that's common too. Sure. Um, uh, you know, these are really great plans though, because these are huge organizations that are trying to make the execs or management or, you know, whatever level of, um, you know, authority that Mike sits to, to feel like an owner, right. uh, to get more skin in the game. So they offer these ESPP plans. Hey, buy our stock, have more wealth in the stock because you're going to care more about what the company does. You're not going to, you know, douche around because <laughs> your, your wealth is, I don't know if that is, if that's a word, is that a word? I, I, I followed what you meant. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say something else, but I, I decided to clean it up. At the last that, second. That there. was the clean version? <laughs> that was. I hate to see the bad one. <laughs> yeah. I'd say mess around. <laughs> yeah, mess around. That's what I meant to say. Is Now, it's like my wealth is correlated to the, you know, the productivity of the overall organization. So, sure. of course, I'm going to do everything that I can to be as efficient um, as I can, work as hard as I can, try to be the, the best employee because, you know, my, my wealth is directly tied to the overall performance of the overall company. So uh, I liked that because there's alignment there. Uh, but then you also have to look at diversification. Yep. Uh, you have to look, it, it, even if it's overvalued today, I mean, you got to look at a, the long term here. You're buying it at a discount for the long term. So um, hopefully that answers your question. One thing I do have, is why are you putting in 5% after tax and 10% pre um, or maybe you're maxing your plan out at 10%? Maybe. Could be. Maybe because it's got a high salary. Maybe he's yeah, making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, 10% right. of that's 25K. And he wants to get more in, which then he can later roll into a Roth. I would do more after tax. So, so the super garage door, Mike, from DC. <laughs> yeah. So instead of going to the ESPP plan, I would put as much as I can in the after ta uh, tax and convert that to a Roth. That's what I would do. And yeah. if I still have extra cash left over and if I don't have any other non-qual, I would do the ESPP, hold on to it for a couple of years, then sell, sell and diversify. So because then that would build all three pools. Because when you're looking at building wealth, you want to make sure that you have your tax deferred pool or the IRA 401k. You have your tax free. 
which is the Roth, and then you have your taxable or brokerage account. This would accomplish all three. Well, there you go. So I, I will say that in many cases with restricted stock units, people end up selling them as soon as they vest because they can't afford to pay the tax money on what they're worth. So that's that's a way to build up non-qualified accounts. ESPP would be another one. Um, I don't know. I, I'm all over ESPP if I'm bullish on the company. I'm, I'm less all over it if I'm not as bullish. So that's my feeling. Yeah, because I mean, we're not big fans of holding individual stocks, I guess. Right. And that, that's the risk in that. And, and of course, you You've heard this a million times. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. The truth is, if you find the right basket, put them, every, put them all every in. damn egg and <laughs> borrow eggs in. and steal <laughs> eggs and put them in that basket. Here's the problem. You don't know what the right basket is until time happens and then there's clarity. But right, right now, in looking towards the future, you never the wealthiest know. people in this country have put all of their eggs in, in one, one basket. basket and got the right basket. <laughs> yes, exactly. So diversification <laughs> is not going to make you ultra wealthy. No, it's it helps you keep your wealth. And it's a great investment strategy if you don't have or don't think you know the right basket. But a lot of times people think they have the right basket and, and it don't. goes up in flames. That's right. They have a bad basket when they think they have a good one. <laughs> Correct. We got Mike from Arkansas. Hi, guys. Look forward to your podcast each week. Of course you do. You live in Arkansas. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> I what are you implying, Joe? <laughs> nothing. I know you love um, short brevity. Thank you. Something short. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the word means. You just don't know how to pronounce it. Exactly. Got it. I'm tired now. <laughs> and that you're, we haven't got the first sentence. Out. I know it's terrible. So right to the point, I retired one thirty one twenty one. My wife has been on disability for the past 10 years. Uh, this coming August, I will turn 63 and she will turn 60. My wife is on disability because of MS Her MS is progressive. And we expect in the future, she will require long-term care. She was diagnosed in her mid forties. Uh, but, but before we looked into LTC insurance, and of course now she's uninsurable, here's a rundown of the assets. Uh, let's see. They got healthy balances here. Yeah. Mike's I- got $1.7 million. Wife's got $800,000. That's 401ks. IRAs, another 100000 for Mike, another $20,000 uh, for the missus. Roth IRAs, Mike's got, let's call it $80,000. Wife's got $60,000. About $275,000 in cash and $1.6 million in non-qualified brokerage accounts. So I added it up. It's 4.6. Thank you, Al. That's pretty You're good. very welcome. Johnny on the spot there. <laughs> I plan to start Social Security January 2022. Wife is getting Social Security disability now. And combine it, it'll be $57,000 per year. We have no debt and annual expenses um, are around $55,000 a year. My wife qualifies for Medicare and switch to that this year prior to my retirement. When my COBRA runs out, I will have a year on the exchange before I join Medicare. My question is about paying for long-term care. Since we have about 60% of our assets in pre-tax accounts, if I draw from, if I draw funds from those to pay for long-term care and we deduct the cost of care as a medical expense, or can we? Uh, that offset would help somewhat with the tax hit we will have as we draw on those funds. I've read that long-term care cost is deductible if you are there for medical reasons. I don't know the particulars, but feel in our situation, it will qualify. The average cost for care in our area is about $75,000 per year. 
I ran some calculations and it looks like we won't run out of money. Just wondering what the best strategies are to deal with this situation. Thanks, Mike. I live in Arkansas, drive a 2019 Outback, no pets. Answer the question now. Let's talk about long-term. Okay. So it's a great question. And and it's actually one that I'm surprised it doesn't come up more, but uh, so medical expenses uh, are obviously deductible in your tax return, as long as they're over seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income. That's the current rule. And when it comes to long-term care, if it's a requirement for, uh, for medical reasons, generally from a doctor's, you know, doctor's letter or something like that. But then, then it sort of depends upon the type of care and there's different levels, right? There's, there's independent living, there's assisted living, there's long-term like skilled nursing or nursing homes or whatever you want to call it, that the skilled nursing undoubtedly would be hundred percent deductible. The other two there may be partial, but I'm guessing because he's asking, she would only go if she really needed it. So it would be skilled nursing and likely it would be fully deductible that I guess if you would go, it matter if they, she went to a facility or she stayed at home, uh, it, it doesn't really matter as long as it's the, for the, medical purposes. Right. The right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the official answer is that you can't do two out of X number of living like, like, for example, you, can, you can't activities you need, of daily living date. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you have trouble eating or you have trouble bathing or you have trouble dressing, things like that. Transferring. Tra- transfer. <laughs> Toileting. Sure. Toileting. Toileting. Yes. I was going to avoid that one, but Got okay. It. <laughs> okay. it's one of the six activities. You're right. You're right. So six or eight. I don't know. But I think if you can't do two of them, you're 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 you're, in. you're done. You're in. You're, in. You're, in. you're in for the deduction. Anyway. Got it. All yeah. right. Yeah. All right. Uh, but we would suggest that Mike would withdraw from the retirement account for that purpose, for sure, sure. because it's it's deductible, right? I mean, in, in all likelihood, if you really want to know Mike for sure, you go to IRS Publication Five Hundred Two, which is riveting material <laughs> on this. But just if you want to know more riveting material on the movie Castaway, Adam from Franklin, Tennessee, email formatting, and Arkansas golf and baseball in the derails. Your money, your wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the get an assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Is there an optimum intersection? Between life and money, yeah. is there a crossroads here? Got to be, got to be a crossroads but somewhere. Specifically asking for from strictly a financial perspective. This just whole thing reminds me of like um, that movie with Tom Hanks. Which one? Castaway. Castaway. Okay. And like the I, end of the meeting. I didn't think about Castaway when you read this, but go ahead. At the end of the isn't that the end of the movie when he's at the crossroads? Yeah, he was, and yeah. he's, he's probably thinking, you know, Holly Hunt is gone. <laughs> My wife. What, what should I do? Right? And, you know, I got cash from yeah. FedEx. That's right. Should I retire because I have an optimal distribution rate and right. I'm in good health now because I just lost 200 pounds by sitting on an effing <laughs> island. <for it. laughs> and his best friend was a volleyball. <laughs> or is it Adam Franklin from Tennessee? No, he's from Franklin, Tennessee. <laughs> you could read it. Or is it ways. Franklin it's from <laughs> Adam, Tennessee? Well, because it's the comma, it would be Franklin Adam. 
right? Adam would be the first name. Remember the last Oh, brother, yeah. you guys. Uh, call him Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> From Adam, Tennessee. <laughs> um, let's see. Hello. Are you Why reading this on the fly? <laughs> no, yes, I've always read on the fly, but you put in these weird notes, and I'm not sure. I'd like to read the email as it is without these other weird things that you put in here. I'm just trying to figure out when the email started. And I believe it's hello. Yes, I think, so. I think it starts with hello. But, but she usually puts the name and the location. That's that's helpful. Yes, I, I would but say. Then it's weird if I put their names and locations in prior to them telling me. It feels like I'm intruding on their, their <laughs> privacy. As I've mentioned before, that's actually a field on the form that they fill out. So it's not something that they actually say in their email. Well, maybe they don't want us to say their name. A lot of people say, please don't say my name. But Andy tells, I got their address here. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's super easy. This is Carrie from Kansas. And he writes, hello. What's so hard about that? Do you want your own show? No. We call it (laughs) Tax Chat with Big Al. (laughs) No, it would be way too boring. I already understand that. Because we get confused on names. Understand. I mean, I call her, her, him, yes. whatever. So you can say, thanks, Carrie, mail. <laughs> All right, from now on, that's what I'm doing. I'm not giving you any more information. <laughs> but put it in bold so that I know who we're talking about. <laughs> well, because at the very start, she goes, Carrie, comma, Kansas, but it's Carrie, in parentheses, mail. Got it. wonder if he knows where Ma Mel is. Ma Mel. Ma Mel. What do you know about it? I play golf at Ma Mel Country Club. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know quite a bit about the state then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little Rock. Big sure. Rock. Sure. Bill Clinton. Right. 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 Um, what else? Johnny Cash. Is he from Marcusa? Come on. Give me some more. Give me some more. Yeah. I'm like a wizard. What, what states is it contiguous to? I'm uh, <laughs> you don't even know south. What contiguous means. <laughs> <laughs> right, Mark. Mike from Arkansas. We don't get a lot of people from Arkansas. Feel Not sorry me. for Mike because they just um, baseball team, college baseball. You're, yeah, you don't watch college baseball probably. Not too much. Yeah, they didn't make it to the College World Series. They, they lost. They didn't. Okay, and they were ranked number one just about oh, the whole season. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, something you watch quite a bit. I do enjoy sports, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike some other like, people on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like college baseball? I mean, that seems kind of oh, random. Me, college baseball is awesome, especially like this time of year when it's the yeah, College yeah. World Series. Well, that's true. I'll, I'll give you that. So I like baseball. I like golf. I like college football. Those are the sports I enjoy following. Yeah. I haven't watched too much college baseball. <laughs> yes. Do you watch like volleyball and all that stuff? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, like whatever's on. Uh-huh. I oh, enjoyed um, watching beach volleyball and I enjoy indoor volleyball when it comes to the Olympics. I mean, those guys are, and yeah. gals are super athletic. Yeah, they are. Uh, Sinjin Smith, is that name? No, probably no, no. clue. Okay. Yeah. No. Pro, pro beach volleyball there. Yeah. Legend. <laughs> okay. Who are the two gals that won all the time uh, years ago? That They're still winning. What are you talking about? No, no. <laughs> One of them retired. I can't remember. They just, name. yeah, they just they won every gold medal. They, yeah, possible. Right. I just can't remember the name. Um, I can picture what they look like. Sure, sure you can. <laughs> um, all right, we got to take a break. 